Good morning. Yep, it's double warning. Double check. I don't know if he was announced earlier, and certainly in many ways not a guest, but glad to see you, Andy. Glad that you're here. Well, uh, I'd like to start off the, the meeting this morning by doing a little quiz. It's going to be called a farming quiz. All right, because I know there's a lot of farmers here in the audience, <laughs> here in uh, East Bay. So we see if you can help me out with this farming quiz. Let's see. First of all, can you tell the difference between sheep and goats? You think you can tell? Okay, all right. Let's see the first picture. What's that? Sheep or goat? Uh-oh. Okay, let's go to the next picture. Sheep or goat? Can I get a previous one? Oh, now we're not so sure, are we? They kind of they look similar, don't they? All right, well, I won't shake you up too much. You had that pretty good, actually. First one is, final answer, goat. Very good. Second one? Sheep, very good, very good. What's the difference? Well, the difference is when they're, when they're, when they're shaved, I'll, when they're like this, I'll be honest with you, I can't much tell the difference. I just look at their face, they look a lot alike to me. They look a lot alike to me. Sheep, they grow out a fleece. It's more of a curly round, whereas goat grow out more like a hair. Sheep say, bah. Goats say, bah. Did you catch that difference? No. Sheep don't often have horns. Sometimes they do. Goats have, uh, are usually horned, pointy horns. Sheep are often considered, uh, just frankly, dumb, stupid, not very intelligent. Where goats are usually fairly smarter. Sheep are considered grazers. They just eat whatever's on the ground right in front of them, and they just clear out a whole set of land. Whereas uh, a goat's a little more what they call a browser. You know, they like to pick and choose. They're a little bit different. Sheep are more skittish. Goats, less so. They're actually just completely different animals. Uh, goats are winning the chromosome race 60 to 54. So they're just completely different animals. You can see that next picture, Jake. Can you tell the difference? Which one's on the left? And the right? Very good. You guys are better at this than I am, I tell you. You can tell the hair over there versus the, the um, fleece on the, and that's called a lamb. That would be a kid. Next picture, Jake. Okay. See, when they're, when they're full out, it's easier for me to do that, right? Right? Lamb, I mean sheep, goat. Easier, okay. All right, next quiz. Can you tell the difference? Oh, that's a bad picture. I was afraid it's going to come out like that. It's kind of blurry. Is that wheat? Or is that called a darnel? Or the scriptures call it a tear or a weed? It's a little too blurry. Is it wheat? Or is it tear? 
All right, who says wheat? Who says tear? Eric says, I'm going to vote. It's too blurry. <laughs> Actually, it's perfect focus. Tom, can you see it? No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Actually, uh, everyone's wrong. At that age, it looks like both. Okay, next picture, Jake. That was the middle picture. That's what the tear looks like full grown. And that's what the wheat looks like full grown. Next picture, Jake. Looks even better on this one. See the difference? As a child, I just remember these things getting stuck in my socks. Right? Those are the tares, the darnels, or darnels, or darnels that they're called. They're weeds. Okay? And this is wheat. You can see the, the full grain in the heads. They're just brown. Sometimes they get so brown they get heavy and they kind of bend over. You see? But when they're young and they first sprout out and they're green, you can't tell the difference. You can't tell the difference. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning is trying to see what the difference is between two things, between the real and the fake, the genuine and the imposter, because sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes it's hard to be able to make that difference. For me, I go to the county fair, sheep and goats, and they're all shaved. Ah, they look the same to me. When that tear or that wheat pops out of the ground at first, it's just green. You can't tell. But the difference there is large when it comes to spiritual things. The difference between sheep and goats and tares and weeds and wheat could be the difference between heaven and hell, really. So let's turn our Bibles to Luke 22. For those of you who are visiting us, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke verse by verse. We're in Luke chapter 22. We'll begin reading at verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied, but he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. 
Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. As we look at two disciples of Jesus, we'll look at the, uh, the false first and uh, learn something from God's word this morning. Think about that. These are two disciples. All 12 were picked by Jesus. And if you think about it, from the outward appearance, they all seem to be the same. When we read our Bibles, we, it always says, and Judas, who would betray him. But if you were one of the disciples, you didn't have that information on the front end. He was just Judas. He was like anybody else. They'd all been picked by Jesus. They had all heard his teaching. They had all traveled with him. They all went out two by two, preaching in front of him. They would go out preaching first, and he would come in behind them. They did miracles. They all did miracles. Judas did miracles, casting out demons. All of them battled with arguments and arguments amongst each other and arguing amongst each other about who would be the greatest. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, Judas might have... They might have thought him to be more trustworthy, right? Because he held the money box. He was the, uh, the CFO of the organization, as it were. So what's the difference? What's the difference? Well, the difference is Judas never truly received Christ. He never did. He had one that was bigger in his life than Jesus, one time there was some costly fragrant oil that was poured all over Jesus. And Judas was bothered by this. You see, he was disappointed. John 12, verses, starting in verse 4, says this, and, and the verses will be up here if you want to just read them from there and not have to turn to them. John 12, verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. You see, Judas had a God that was bigger in his life than Jesus. That was money. He was in it to get paid. This was about what he was going to get out of it, not about having a relationship with Jesus. And as failing and, and, and flawed as the other 11 disciples were, it always came down to their relationship with Jesus for them. It always came down to that. Jesus had said some, had said some hard things. And to be honest, a lot of the disciples were dropping like flies. They were falling away. John chapter 6 these true 11 disciples, they weren't going anywhere because they knew who Jesus was and what he had to say. John 6, verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, 
Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is the devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. You see, Judas never had a relationship with Jesus. He was in it for the money. Jesus taught so much about money. He taught about it, even more than heaven and hell. But Judas wasn't listening. He was right there, right in the front row of the teaching of Jesus personally. He heard it with his own ears, right there, the words of Jesus. Hear, hear Jesus teach, as in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And though, Jesus, though Judas was right there, Judas was right there in front of Jesus, listening to the words of Jesus himself, he went into his ear, but it never got down here. I, an expression I picked up from a friend of mine. You ever go to the vending machine and you, and you, you put a coin in and you hear the cluck? You don't hear the cluck, right? You hear the cluck. You know what I'm talking about? The coin didn't drop, did it? So you go, oh, okay, I lost my money. You got to bang on the machine. You know, what's going on here? Right? For Judas, when it came up to money and putting the Lord Jesus first, the coin never dropped. You see, the coin never dropped. It went into his ear, but the coin never dropped, never hit his heart. He had another God he was serving, money, more important to him than Jesus. And you know what, his, his love, as Jesus, Jesus said, his love for money led him to hatred for Jesus. And just, just like the growing of the hair on the goat, makes it easy on me, and the growing up of that tear out of the ground, coming up as seeds of weeds and not grain, that love for money eventually showed where Judas was at. Look at Mark chapter 14, verse 3. It's, it's going to be a familiar story, but look at the series of events here. Or it'll seem, seem similar. Mark 14, 3. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the, at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil, a spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? More than likely, a Judas again. Judas again. For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For, the, for you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do good to them. But me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. 
Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And then listen to this. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Do you see what put Judas over the top? Whoa, 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 where's the money going? We can't waste that. I mean, uh, just pour, we could have did something better with it. We should have sold it and, and given it to the poor. You see, he sees the money taking wings and flying away. It's no longer about him seeing the money and stealing from it. It's about Jesus and this being wasted on Jesus, which I assure you it wasn't. It wasn't about Judas anymore, so this wasn't going to work for him. This wasn't going to work for him. You know what the danger is to hanging around the Lord and spiritual things and believers, but never truly receiving the Lord for yourself? It's a scary thing that can happen. Listen to what happened to Judas. John 13, verse 21. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore mentioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now listen to this. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus said to him, buy some of those things that we need for the feast that he should give something to the poor. Having received the bread, the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. You see what happens? Someone hangs around the Lord. They hang around spiritual things, but they don't really let it sink down into their hearts. The coin never drops because they don't want it to because they have something in their heart more important to them than Jesus. They're vulnerable to the devil. Here, no less than Satan himself enters Judas. And Judas received the bread. He wasn't denying it. He took it. You see, in his heart, he'd already sold out Jesus. It was already done. There's no going back now. And even at this point, from the outward appearances, the disciples thought, oh, I could be Judas. He's the CFO. He must be going out to buy something. The outward appearance, he seemed like anyone else. And maybe this is the worst wickedness of it all. Back in our passage of verse 48, Jesus points out how Judas does this. 
Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Think about that. I don't know if you've, I don't know if the guys here have ever kissed a man before. In other cultures, it's very custom. I know I've kissed Tom Rodriguez on the cheek, and I'm not ashamed of it. Tom, why'd I kiss you on the cheek? Yeah. That's right. That's right. I don't even remember if he did the same first or afterwards. It didn't even matter. He probably did. Probably did it first. It's a sign of affection, isn't it? It's a sign of emotion. It's a sign of endearment. And here Judas is betraying the Son of Man with a kiss. Wow. Three years spent together. Jesus took care of him day and night. And he betrays him with a kiss. We'll talk more about that later. Okay. Let's turn the corner. Very somber. Very sad situation there with Judas. Let's talk about true disciples now. Where do we find the true disciples? Well, unfortunately, they haven't been listening very closely to Jesus, to what he says is going to happen. But you know what? They're still with him. You've got to give them that credit. They're still there with Jesus. And you know what? They're willing to go down with him. There's a whole detachment. It's a multitude that showed up. You've already lost one guy. He's on the enemy's side. They're coming through the garden. And you look around, and who you got? You got four fishermen, you know, those master swordsmen, fishermen. You know, you got a tax collector who only took the money, and the heavy was always behind him. Okay? You got a political zealot. You got a couple other guys. It's not looking so good. Right? But you got to, it seems like their heart's in the right place. Right? Not exactly trained soldiers, but they're trying. And at the same time, they seem to be asking and doing the same thing. Hey, Lord, should we fight? Right? A little impetuous. Sometimes the followers of the Lord can be that way. Guilty as charged. We learned that was Peter. I don't know how he got the right ear of the sir. I don't know how he, he must have just like, you know, something crazy. And the guy's like this. Gets his ear cut off. It's probably just a mess. But here's the thing that every disciple of Christ has to face. And I've seen it. I've known the Lord for 25 years now, and it's, it's unavoidable. It's, it's just punch-in-the-gut disappointment. Because here's what Jesus, Jesus says to Peter. Peter? Put your sword away. I mean, not only does he doesn't want them to fight, he fixes the guy's ear. This just blows me away. He fixes his ear. They're going to come and arrest a miracle worker. Anybody seeing the incongruity, the incredulousness of this? This is crazy. Oh, here, let me fix that for you. Okay, now you can arrest me. It's amazing. But to Peter, Peter's ready to fight. I'm ready to go down for you, Lord. And what does he say? We learn from the other Gospels, he says, Peter, put your sword down. Don't you know I can ask my father for 12 legions of angels? I've done the math. 12 legions of angels could kill the whole population of the earth in a night. I could ask him for 12 legions of angels, and he'd send them. Put your sword away. The cup that the father's given me. We talked about that last week. 
the cup that the Father has given me, I'm going to drink it. Put your sword away, Peter. What effect do you think that had on Peter? He was willing to die for the Lord. I'm willing to go down for you, Lord. What? We're not fighting? You see, Peter was in love with his thoughts of Jesus. His thoughts of Jesus is Jesus is reigning in Jerusalem. He's the king. He's the Messiah. And, of course, where's Peter? Peter's right here. You know, Andrew's right there. James and John, all the rest of them are somewhere else. You know? But that's where we're going, right, Lord? And the Lord's been telling him, no. No. There's no crown without the cross. There's no glory without the suffering. Yeah, yeah, okay, whatever, Lord. And he didn't get it. And now when he sees Jesus just, oh, this is the expression we hate the worst, I think, giving up, giving in. Because we like to fight, don't we? We get into an argument, boy, it's a, we call it time, a full-out Donnybrook, especially when I know I'm right. We're going down. It's going to go down right here. Jesus was always right. What does he do? He says, okay, let's go. Oh, Peter doesn't know what's going on. You see, he was so in love with his own thoughts and his own imaginations of who Jesus was and who he was in Jesus, he wasn't prepared. And he was crushed. His bubble was burst. Now, instead of being in the front of the pack, where is he? He's following at a distance. You know what it says there in the passage? It's following at a distance. He thought he knew what he was doing, but now he's barely hanging on. So he follows at a distance. He follows him to the high priest's courtyard. And then where do we see him? He's warming himself with the servants of the enemy. <laughs> What's going on inside Peter's heart and mind? He's, he's, it's, it's just completely blown him away. When he's challenged about Jesus, he denies even knowing Jesus. That's how far he's fallen from his lofty place. Remember? If all else forsake you, Lord, I'll never forsake you. That was the promise. When his third denial was done, what happens? Jesus looks at him. And I can't imagine what that looked must have been like. A look of pain. A look of love. I don't know. Is disappointment the right word? Peter was crushed. He was just totally crushed. He now sees just about how much he really loves Jesus. And it's painfully little. When, it's, when it seemed Jesus needed someone the most, Peter denied even knowing him. He's completely distraught. He's a horrible follower of Jesus. He's a horrible friend. see in verse 62 
he, went, he runs away from the scene, crying bitterly. The one thing he had promised not to do was exactly what he did in Jesus' greatest time of need. You know, this is, to me, what draws the line between sheep and goats, between wheat and tares. How to handle disappointment. How to handle disappointment. Here these two disciples show how they handled disappointment. It showed where they were at in their relationship with Jesus. When Judas came to the conclusion that there's nothing left for me here, there's no financial gain left, that Jesus was going to die, he, he wasn't going to be wasting any more time. He was disappointed with Jesus. Judas checked out. Was it going to be about for himself? Was it going to be about the money? Was it going to be about what he could get? All right, I'll get 30 pieces of silver and I'm done. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine that? 30 pieces of silver. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of all glory, the giver of eternal life. He got the wages to buy a slave with when he sold them. He didn't know the value of Jesus. Yeah, it still happens today. People sell out Jesus actually for less. For less. There's a danger today of hanging around a church, hanging around Christians, hanging around the Bible. Just like Judas did. It's still a possibility today. People come, and we're glad to have people come. If you came here this morning, we're glad to have you. Don't get me wrong. But there is a danger if that coin never drops from what you're hearing today to your heart. Maybe you've come this morning and you're looking for something. And a lot of us here who've received the Lord, that's exactly why we came. We came because we had issues with our marriage or with our kids or with our health. We're looking for meaning in life and purpose. Maybe it's someone's looking for a relationship. They just want a friend. Health problems, death of a loved one, all sorts of reasons people come to church. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And Jesus can meet those needs. But you can't just come here for the things Jesus can provide. You have to come for Jesus himself. You can't come to just put on a a veneer of Bible study and religion and Christian jargon. And and it makes the conscience feel a little bit better, but there's never any real personal relationship with Christ. Because here's what I'll do. He'll eventually put his finger on that thing that you're living for instead. And I've seen it time and time again. Whatever it is in your heart is more important to you than Jesus himself. Even the things he can fix and give you, he'll put his finger on it. And he'll ask you, is this more important to you than I am? 
And the answer from Judas was what? Yes. Judas loved money. That was his thing. And everybody has a, a thing that can grip your heart, that can get inside you, that keeps that coin from dropping because it's taking up that space in your heart. Judas never received Christ. He never submitted to Jesus. Judas, and he sealed this, this rebellion, this independence. He sealed it with the ultimate act of rebelliousness. He committed suicide. And I want to tell you this morning, if you're here this morning, and we don't talk about suicide a lot here, but if you're here this morning and you've thought about suicide, don't do it. There's many things in life that God can deliver you from. But when you seal your life with suicide and you don't know the Lord, there's no going back from that. If you're thinking about suicide this morning, please come talk to me after this meeting. There's hope in Christ. If you're going to come to Jesus, you have to come to Jesus for Jesus. Judas never did this. Peter did. Peter had come to Jesus for he, for he himself. Peter failed. He blew his understanding. He didn't really realize the important value of Jesus going to the cross first. But if you ask Peter, there was nothing more important than Jesus. Yeah, Peter denied the Lord. And he fled like all the other disciples. And this is a serious mistake. But like true believers, they said, where else are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus had warned Peter, but Peter wasn't listening. This heartbreaking disappointment was the only way to get through to Peter. Judas, you saw what his disappointment led to. Led to betrayal and then ultimately suicide. For a believer, what is, I mean, I, I just mean punch in the gut disappointment. I mean, it's, this tragedy sometimes is more the word. There's some friends of ours. They just live up the road here off Hesperian. They, have a, they had a son, 31 years old, five tours overseas, shot and killed. Young wife at home. This couple is just dedicated They had dedicated their life to serving the Lord. Every chance they, they got, Awana, Koinonia, VBS, brought their kids up in that environment, serving the Lord. And then, bam, you get that phone call. We're all just a phone call away from being on our knees, aren't we? What do you do? What does a believer do? What's the difference between the sheep and the goat, the wheat and the tares when it comes to disappointment? An unbeliever has nothing. They've rejected Jesus. He's the only hope. What does a believer say? Lord, it hurts. It hurts what you've allowed. But I'm going to trust you. The Bible says this. The just, the true believers... The righteous, they shall live by faith. 
Lord, it hurts. But I'm going to trust you. That what you have allowed is for my good. A believer first trusts and then they worship. I know you have everything under control. That not one thing that you've allowed is beyond your control. It all went through your caring, loving, powerful hands. And I worship you as a sovereign God. That you're going to work all things together for good, for my good. Because I love you. And I'm your called one. And you know what, Lord? I'm going to love you back. It hurts. I don't feel like loving anything right now, Lord. But I'm going to choose to love you. I'm going to choose to trust you, to worship you, and to be sweet about what you've allowed in my life. You know, y'all did much better about those goats and sheep than I did. I have to confess. I really can't tell the difference until they start growing their hair. The farmer can't tell the difference, not wheat and tares, until they start growing up. But we can tell about ourselves. We can tell who sincerely knows the Lord, who doesn't. Just look at the objective evidence in your life. Ask yourself. The Bible says this. If you want to call yourself a Christian, make your calling in election, sure. Look at your life. Are you in it for Jesus himself and no other reason? Not a relationship, not a goal, not a selfish ambition, but for Jesus himself. Can you say like Peter, Lord, I don't want to go anywhere else. You're the only one who can save me, and I want you, Lord Jesus. I want you. Everything else in life doesn't matter. You're the most important thing to me. You know, if you're not sure about that, if you're here and you've just been hanging around spiritual things, don't be left unsure. Don't be left unsure. Isaiah 55, 6 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That's today. Do that today. I'll be up front if you'd like to talk. I'd be more than happy to talk to you up front. I know Howard and the other elders would be more than happy to talk to you if you're unsure about where you stand with the Lord. Settle this question about being a true believer, true follower of Christ. Because you know what? One day, Jesus is going to settle it. Jesus is going to settle it. He's going to look at the objective evidence in our lives and do we respond to the things he allowed by faith? Being sweet about it, loving him, and turning around and serving him anyway. That's a hard life. This can be a very hard life. It's been a gut-wrenching week for me personally. It can be tough. This is what Jesus is going to do one day. Matthew 25, beginning verse 31. We'll close with this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats.
and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in naked, and you did not clothe me sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to thank you for your word. We thank you for painting the picture of Judas and Peter so clearly for us. Lord, it's intimidating, it's scary to think of one who could be at your feet for three years and still not choose you. So, Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning. Lord, everyone who's heard your word this morning, who's heard it before, who still sits on the fence, even though they're not guaranteed the rest of this day, let alone some other time to come to you. I pray, Lord, that your word would get through that the, as it were, Lord, the coin would drop. It would go from ear to heart. And that they would choose you, coming to a full, a real relationship with you. And Lord, I thank you for all the dear believers here. Uh, failing and, and faltering, not nearly as much as I have. And I thank you for their love for you. And Lord, we pray that we might have that live by faith mentality to trust you with all that you allow knowing that you're working it out far beyond our wildest dreams so that Lord Jesus when you come back and we see you we don't want to be ashamed we want to glory in all that you did as you said Lord when the son of man returns will he find faith on the earth Lord we want to be those faithful ones to you so, Lord, help us to, to respond to the disappointments the way we should. Lord, pray for the Grissoms again and what they're going through right now, losing their son. Be with them. Draw them close, even in their brokenness.
We thank you for your word, Lord. May it change our lives today. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.